0: Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Proverbs, uh, several different verses from chapter two. Let's listen to God's word. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause, the rod of life, to those who rob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears to fine clothing and say, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drive you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. God.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. God helps those who help themselves. Sounds like pretty solid advice. It's strong advice. It's advice about being self-reliant. It's good old fashioned pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of advice. You want something? Get it yourself. If you don't have things, it's because you didn't try hard enough. Those who have, have because they are hard workers. And those who don't have, don't have because they didn't work hard enough. It's a pretty simple system. But that's not how the world works. And it's completely unscriptural. The phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is often quoted as being from the Bible, but it's not. It's found in ancient Greek literature. A very similar phrase is found in the Quran, but it is not found in the Bible. It's not found in the Bible because that's simply not how the world works, and that's not how God works. We are never in the Bible called to judge why the rich are rich and why the poor are poor. There are plenty of people who work several jobs day and night just to pay the rent and get basic food, on the table. And there are others who are just sort of handed whatever they need because they were born in the right place at the right time. There are places in the world where being poor means that you don't have the latest iPhone model. And there are places in the world where being rich means you just have enough to eat. And it's not that one place in the world is just full of more industrious people. And other parts of the world are just full of lazy people. The United States holds over 25% of all the world's wealth, but it holds fewer than 5% of the total world population. That doesn't mean that this country is simply full of people who are working harder than the single mother of four in Uganda who works day and night just to put a little bit of rice in the bellies of her children. It just means that we're all pretty darn lucky to live here in this beautiful, safe, and economically stable community. Even in our own country, the United States shows wider gaps between the richest and the poorest citizens than any other developed country in the world. In a country that holds so much of the world's wealth, almost 10% of children are in homes that are considered to be food insecure. That means that they don't have reliable access to nutritious food because they live in poverty, And they live in neighborhoods where there is simply nowhere to buy food that is not McDonald's. These areas are called food deserts. In the interest of full disclosure, it's been a long week. And I preached almost this exact same sermon three years ago at my last church when these passages came up in the lectionary. And at that time, the Syrian refugee crisis was front and center on the news. That was the time when Greece was really getting hit hard by all of those refugees. Dead children were washing up on beaches as their families tried to flee their war-torn homeland. And today, as I revisit this passage, it's not gotten any better. The world is still trying to figure out how to be friends and neighbors to those who are fleeing war in the Middle East without collapsing our own economic systems. We in the U.S. are trying to figure out what it means to be a good neighbor to our sisters and brothers in Mexico, especially those who live in poverty and are trying to get here to make a better life for their families. Those of us who were here first are often seen as being more deserving than those who seek to come here as our ancestors did, as if we somehow did something to earn our seat of privilege here. The twin sins of inequality and favoritism have crept into the world time and time again, and they cause havoc, they cause oppression, and they cause sorrow all over the place. That's why it's very important for us to host Peacemakers from around the world, and to play host for Manolis next month because he's going to be talking to us about these very sorts of issues. It's hard to figure out the lines, it's hard to learn how to be a good neighbor and friend to those around us. The Proverbs said that God made us all, God made the rich people. God made the poor people. God made the people with the latest smartphone and the people with barely enough food on the table. All are God's creations. God made the citizens and God made the refugees. God wants all people to experience real Christian love. In 2 Chronicles 6, 32, and 33, God even says that the Israelites are to give the foreigner what they want so that they might come to know God. That's how much God cares about the poor and the outcast. Give them what they want. Help them to fulfill their daily needs so that they might come to know God. Hundreds of years after 2 Chronicles, when James writes, long after that time, We see that the problem isn't gone. It's still lurking in the background. The poor are still not being taken care of, and those who are different are still being pushed out to the edges of society. There's a group of books in the Old Testament called the Wisdom Literature, into which Proverbs falls. And James is actually considered by some to be the one book of wisdom literature in the new testament much like proverbs it is a this is what a wise person looks like book this favoritism that the israelites used to show that now the early christians were showing that the world today still fully participates in that is not what a wise person looks like that is foolish the rich have a responsibility not to question why the have-nots have not, but to help provide for their daily needs. The wealthy, the smartphone holding, car driving, four walls and a roof and food in the kitchen wealthy, have a special responsibility to care for those who don't have clothing or food or shelter. James goes so far As to say, if you say you have faith, but you don't care about the daily needs of all people, you're missing the point and your faith isn't going to get you very far. Those are some strong words. God created everyone. God didn't just create some and not others. God didn't create some more than others. God didn't do a better job or a more careful job creating some people and mess up just a little bit while he was making others. In spite of the evil inequalities that plague our world, God is still the maker of every single one of us. And just as those who are able but not willing to share their wealth, those who plant injustice in the world, will ultimately find themselves in a load of hot water, those who are generous will be blessed for their kindness and their love. They might not be blessed with material riches. That's not the kind of blessing that God is worried about here, Nor is it the kind of blessing we should be worried about, but they will be blessed richly by God in their faith in their relationships and in the honor that comes with having a good name, a name that when people hear it, they say that is a good person right there. That is a kind and loving person, a name that is said with fondness by all that creates a warm feeling when you hear it. It is a name that maintains its integrity and compassion in a world that lacks integrity and compassion. The same is true when a community is known by a name associated with compassion and integrity. I read an article a while back about a church in Berlin where many formerly Muslim refugees from Syria have converted to Christianity and joined the church because of the love they've been shown in that church that opened them, or welcomed them with open arms. We can and must work toward better balance in the world. And we can do so by being good stewards of our abundance. Not just good stewards, but ridiculously over the top generous stewards of our resources inviting people in, providing for their daily needs, no matter who they are, no matter why, they are in need. As individuals and as a congregation, our top financial priority should be to make sure that we are giving to those who have less than we do. This church gives an awful lot to mission, and this is why. Whether we feel like it or not, we live in a ridiculously wealthy part of the world, my friends. That means we have a special obligation To give generously to the church in order to spread the word of God. And that we have a special obligation to give to those who aren't so lucky. Those children who don't have any other meals to rely on aside from their school lunch. Those who are struggling to provide a good life for their kids. The mentally ill who can't seem to keep a home or a job. Those who struggle with addiction. The guy who is just terminally and inexplicably out of work. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is not our business. It's God's. And any of us who have messed up so much as once, have messed up. There's no better than in God's eyes. So judgment is not our business. Mercy is our business. And that can feel sometimes like a lost cause. It can feel like no matter how much we do, the world keeps crushing down around us. It can feel like there's only so much we can do, so why bother? It feels like we can speak out. We can take a stand as an individual or as a church against injustice and poverty. We can send money, give food, donate clothing, host peacemakers, and it hardly seems to scratch the surface. But it's not just about the work. It's not about the thing that we're doing. This is not what earns us merit. It's about how action and faith interact because they are intimately tied to one another. I read a story in one of my commentaries that exemplifies what we're doing here and why we are meant to continue acting out our faith, even when it doesn't feel like it's making any earthly change around us. Abraham Johannes Muste graduated from Hope College and Union Theological Seminary. Inspired by the Christian mysticism of the Quakers, Muste became a pacifist and worked with many activist groups. After decades of work in civil rights, social justice, and disarmament, he sorrowfully saw the beginning of the Vietnam War. Because of his integrity, Muste was trusted by all groups and guided their efforts in ending the war. In 1966, he led a group of pacifists to Saigon. After trying to demonstrate for peace, they were arrested and deported. That same year, Mustay flew with a small team of religious leaders to Hanoi, where he met with Ho Chi Minh, the Vietnamese communist leader. They were two old men meeting in the midst of war. One of them committed to the path of violent change, and the other to nonviolence. During the Vietnam War, Muste stood many nights in Washington holding a candle in silent protest outside of the White House. When asked by an incredulous reporter if he thought this would really change U.S. policy on Vietnam, he replied, oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so the country won't change me. I don't share this story to argue about whether the Vietnam War or any war was acceptable Or not, but rather to illustrate why we must continue to live out our faith, to speak out against injustice, to work to battle poverty, even when it seems on the surface like it's not helping. Injustice, poverty, favoritism are all in direct opposition of our faith. And a faith that does not speak out, stand up, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the immigrant, protect the refugee, visit the prisoner, care for the sick, and educate the child is not the same faith as that James is talking about here. The great argument that Martin Luther had against the book of James is that it talks too much about works, and he thought it stressed the merits of work as in being good people, as being the thing that saves us. That's not at all what James is saying. James is saying that the evidence of our faith in Christ is the mercy that we show to others. Evidence of faith in Christ is seen on that back table and on that sign-up sheet in the narthex as we collect food and prepare meals to feed the hungry. Evidence of faith in Christ is seen in the giving of the congregation to keep the church funded to do important ministry and outreach, and in the mission giving of the church in turn to continue funding ministry and mission all over the country and the world. Evidence of faith in Christ is seen in standing side by side with those who suffer injustice and inequality. When a Christian walks past the table without contributing, leaving the homeless and the hungry, unfed, and unsheltered, or refuses to give generously while ministry and mission, both locally and globally, are underfunded and understaffed, ignores or, worse, participates in injustice, intolerance, and division between us and them, there is nothing to back up their claims to faith. That is what James is saying. Put your money where your mouth is. We are saved by faith, not by works. But as James says, faith without works is dead. There is no evidence of its life. Real faith, my friends, is followed by mercy because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God's desire to love and protect all people. Mercy without judgment. Mercy remembering that we are all deserving of judgment, and yet we are forgiven. Mercy doesn't judge. It doesn't question the need. It just fills the need. Just as God fills our needs in spite of our sin. We must continue to act in mercy and in fairness and in compassion and love and charity not because we ourselves can change the world and not because that makes us a good person and earns our way into heaven but because when we act in mercy and fairness and compassion and love and charity we refuse to let the world change who we are we bring honor to our Lord Jesus Christ into the name of the church through caring about the provision of needs for all We point the world toward God. Amen.